Mysterious Circumstances is an American crime cast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Uh, we're back again with another episode and back again is Shane and it's me, Justin. And this is like still a little bit weird doing it with somebody else. So. <laughs> well, at least you've, you've had co-hosts before. This is, uh, especially yeah. over the internet. This is our first time recording over the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I usually always lead the way. So that's true. But, um, but yeah, we had talked about how we're going to do it a little bit. I think we both decided we're going to we're gonna do the episode on uh, whether or not Jim Morrison faked his own death. Yeah, and I will admit that when you told me that you wanted to cover this case, I had to Google who who Jim, Mor- Jim Morrison was. Which was sad. As, sad as <laughs> well, I decided to wait to tell you that until we started this recording. That way you wouldn't uh, block me or anything. That was a good idea because there's a possibility that would happen. Oh, I'm sure it would have. Yeah, yeah personally, uh, you know, all you listeners should know I'm a huge Doors fan. I literally had a Jim Morrison shrine growing up. So I was pretty excited to do this case. Well, I will admit that when I looked him up and I realized what, what you know, what music he was attached to, I realized, oh yeah, you know, I know that song. So oh, I didn't yeah. I didn't exactly not know his music. Oh yeah, yeah. Just didn't connect the dots, I guess, until <laughs> I looked it up. That happens, it happens, but so yeah. what 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 got you hooked on this case, on this mysterious death? Well, it was suggested by a listener a long time ago. And I you know, when I was I which I still am, but you know, I've always had that. You always have that thought in the back of your head because uh, like me and you were talking about earlier, you know, Jim Morrison wasn't just a rock star. He was a fucking legend. I mean, and there's no other two ways about it. Like the dude put on a show and he wrote just the lyrics, man, from a lyrical standpoint. The guy was a freaking genius. And even the band members said, you know, is like, Jim Morrison, literally, when he was writing his poetry or song, he's like, he would have the melody in his head and we just fill in the music. So, I mean, he just very creative and artistic. And he would seem like the kind of person that would do this. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. uh, you know, you for, for somebody to fake their own death, you got to have means, motive, and opportunity. And he had all three of them. And... You know, I was sitting there and I was like, man, that's that's a really good idea. And when I brought the caseload over to you, I was you're like, which one do you want to do next? And I was like, I don't know, man, I don't think you're going to want to do it. But I was like, see if Jim Morrison faked his own death or not and actually like look into it. And, you know, you had found out there's a lot of conspiracies about out there. Right. Over over this. So what made you think that I wouldn't uh, be interested in doing this one? Well, because your listeners are a little bit different than mine, probably, um, the way that you would do your show and obviously the way I do my show are, are two, two different things for the most part. But I thought with both of us, 
I, you know, I just didn't think you'd be into it pretty much. I didn't think your listeners would and you wouldn't, but I know from an investigative standpoint, it was like I wanted to bring it up because I know you would look at it at a different way than me. So, yeah, that's the cool thing about our uh, joining together is that we both have two different two different avenues that we use to look into cases. So yeah. I think that it will uh, it will benefit our listeners. Yep. Um, but yeah, I suppose let's, uh, let's get down to your, to the brass tacks, man. And, uh, James Douglas Morrison was born in Melbourne, Florida on December 8th, 1943. And he had supposedly died on July 3rd, 1971 in his Paris, France apartment. Uh, he was a military kid. His dad was an admiral in the, uh, United States Navy. So Jim actually traveled around. A lot when he was a kid. Uh, he had a brother and a sister. His brother was uh, Andrew, who was about five years younger than him, I believe. Five or five or six. And then he had a sister as well. Uh, as we'll later get to find out, Jim Morrison actually, I don't want to say disowned his family when he went to California um, to go to UCLA. But he was not very fond of his family for the most part. His family tells a different story. But he really didn't claim him. He was a lot different than than uh, than the rest of them. I mean, military family, they really didn't, uh, you know, they didn't really punish him, like, very strictly. But what they did was, you know, it was a lot of verbal abuse. They would break you down and just strip you down uh, instead of spanking him. So that's the kind of house that he lived in. He was constantly moving around. Uh, you know, his dad being in the Navy and everything, but just really didn't. I mean, he, he was just so different. He was, they said by the time he hit the eighth grade, he was reading Ginsburg. And I can tell you right now, man, there's not too many kids out there that are doing that kind of stuff. Uh, right. You and know, you mentioned, you had mentioned that he went to UCLA. Didn't he actually study film? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Actually, he was he was heavy into the arts. And I mean, his dad, you know, he his dad even said in an interview, he's like, you know, we I knew he wasn't going to be in the military. He's like it came to a certain point And he's like that kid. He's like that kid was smart and he was going to do something. And uh, actually, one of his English teachers said that. A fellow teacher was going to the Library of Congress to uh to do some some type of business there or whatever and Jim Morrison's English teacher in high school said that when that teacher went he gave him a list of books to look up that Jim had been doing uh book reports on because he had never heard of them and he thought they had they they didn't exist he thought he was doing book reports on fake shit teacher goes to the library of congress and sure enough Jim Morrison was doing book reports on real books that his English teacher had never even heard of you know so that's pretty cool uh yeah it is pretty cool man but he was he was an eccentric but at the end of the day he was really into his writing and poetry and he was a pretty private person for the most part he got in a little bit of trouble his senior year uh just doing a little bit of drinking or whatever but you know nothing nothing too serious just doing some doing some teenage shit you know right like any other college student his age Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, he went to school and uh, he went to college in Florida. 
And I'm pretty sure it's when he went to get his graduate degree is when he went to UCLA into film school. And uh, while he was at UCLA film school, he meets a guy named Ray Manzarek, who plays organs, who or plays the organ. And he he uh, just basically heard Jim reading some of his poetry, and yeah, you know, he's like, dude, he's like, we should we should start a band. I believe this was about 1964. Uh, so they're hanging out, L.A. and Venice and whatnot. They pick up another guy, Robbie Krieger. Uh, actually, Robbie Krieger, I believe, didn't even really play electric guitar until he joined the Doors. He was a strict acoustic guitarist, so that's that's a pretty interesting little fact right there. But he was uh, he was definitely a phenomenal guitar player, and then they get percussion. Uh, well, John Densmore, um, I watched a couple interviews with him. He seems like... He was he seemed like he was a pretty cool guy and they basically formed the doors and you know uh Electra Records I believe was what it was ended up picking him up I mean and and the rest is rock and roll history man um right but there were started to become tensions in the band in about 1970 Jim Morrison like we were just saying has a lot different personality than probably 95% of the human race, okay? He just, he loved being an artist and he loved writing poetry. He wanted to be a poet, not a singer-songwriter. Now, you're going to hear two different conflicting stories on whether or not Jim enjoyed this or didn't because he was such a private, laid-back person. You know, they say that's half the reason he would turn uh, his back to the audience because he was so shy and other people will say, well, it's because he loved hearing him, you know, gravel for him to turn around. Now, Jim Morrison himself said by the time, you know, he hit, you know, I think it was about 1967 or 68, Jim Morrison was on, you know, magazine covers, everything like this as a, like a teen idol, like just a, just a face. And uh, he absolutely hated that. He did not want to be known with anything to do with his looks. You know, he he wanted to be known for his writing and his poetry and just who he was, you know. And Right. You know, I mean, his family, you know, said that, you know, his sister even said in an interview, she's like, you know, we're, we're pretty sure he was going to be. You know, I, she's like, I was pretty sure he was going to be homeless because there was no way that man was ever going to hold down a real job ever. You right. know, so you'll hear that that side. Then you'll hear the other side where, you know, he just he loved the attention and just loved everything. And they're like, you know, look at the showmanship. And, yeah, he was a showman, but he was a showman because he believed that the audience should get what they pay for. He's like, if they're going right. to pay for much for this ticket, I'm going to give them a fucking show. Yeah, and, I remember that his sister had mentioned that, that yeah. little detail about him. Yeah. She's yeah like, when she spoke to him. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, in all honesty, like, there's a lot of really nice pictures of Jim when he's, after he became famous, like, with his family. So, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to determine why he would go around saying that his family was deceased, that he was an only child. Right. You know, half of me wants to say it's because he just resented the shit out of them. 
the other half of me wants to say is is like a form of they're not going to be associated with me you know right but i think from from my perspective when i was looking into this case um it was interesting to find that when he went to ucla as you mentioned he kind of separated himself with his family because his dad as you mentioned uh was in the military and from what i found from looking into jim when he was in when he was at ucla he hung around a lot of the crowd that were anti-war so i thought that was interesting so i thought that you know maybe this uh this thing where he is trying to not let people know about too much details about his family, maybe that he wasn't too close with them was so that he could try to separate himself with, you know, his, his parents' military background. Yeah. Yep. That, that's actually really good point. I really didn't. didn't, Well, I mean, I knew he was very anti-war. I mean, like we had mentioned earlier, he was on, you know, and this will get discussed more in the theories, but, he was on the FBI watch list by, you know, straight up J. Edgar Hoover because, you know, songs like Peace Frog and, you know, it's just he was very, very anti-war and, and the FBI was keeping a very close eye on this guy. Well, yeah, when you have that much power and influence, you know, and yeah. and before we leave the the details about his family, it was it, it's interesting that you had mentioned that, you know, again, he was separating himself from his family because. His family's perspective was that, you know, they weren't the closest, but they weren't very distant either. Yeah. But one of uh, one of the things that his family and his sister was talking about was how, um, you know, they stayed in touch, but she didn't really know that, you know, that he was seeing. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't until her mom mailed her a copy of his first album and you know she said that she didn't there was nothing written with it it was just the album and you know he was on the cover and put it in and so you know when i heard his when i heard his dad speak about him you know it kind of seemed like his dad never really understood the the musical career that he had and how big of a person he became you know even even after his death yeah. That was something interesting to find out, you know? Yeah, he, uh, when you can tell by the way his dad talks about him, he fucking loved him. You know what I mean? Sure. He, he almost tears up in the interview, and that's in like 2008 or 2007. Right. You know, it was like literally right before he passed away in 2008. Right. And, uh, I mean, you can, you can see it in his eyes, man. But then he'll, he sit there and he's like, you know, he, calls me up and he tells me he started this band. I'm like, the hell kind of job is that? That's not a real job. You know? Yeah. And he's like, I just, he's like, I didn't understand, understand my son. He's like, you know, he was on a different, different level than everybody else. But yeah, he said he only knows a few names of the songs and never really listened to him or anything like that. It's just like, right. it's sad in a way, but I think, by the time he found out Jim had died, I think that he doesn't want to. I don't think, I think after that point, he didn't want to, you know right. what I mean? And, you know, that, that's definitely understandable, but yeah, that was, that, that interview was awesome though. Cause he just, cause it reminds me of my grandpa. It's something my grandpa do. Right. Like I told him over Thanksgiving about the podcast cause my aunts listened to it. And I, dude, he's sitting there, we're drinking a cup of coffee. He's like, so what in the hell is this thing you do on the internet? 
know, my grandpa's, you know, in his early eighties and just dropped out of school in the sixth or seventh grade to go to work, man. You know, literally worked his ass off his entire life. He just, just doesn't get it, you know? And I think that's kind of like the same scenario right there. Yeah. Yep. I, I, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know by about 66, 67, the doors were pretty much everywhere. Um, I do know, you know, as we had talked about earlier, Jim was an eccentric, so he gotten, you know, he had many, many lady friends and, uh, you know, he did indulge in the drugs, uh, mainly hallucinogenics, alcohol, and weed. I have heard very conflicting things on whether or not he was into the hard stuff, because you got this group of friends that say he was, mm-hmm. you got this group of friends that say he was literally scared to death of needles and never really did the hard shit and had actually been in physical altercations with Pam because she was a or his girlfriend, Pam, uh, was it Corson Colson? She, uh, she was a regular heroin user, you know? Right. So it's that part of his life gets a little sketchy because you literally hear two different things. But I mean, he, he definitely party got into some trouble, you know, we had, you know, without getting, you know, too much on it, but I mean, he had, we had talked earlier about the, the, the Florida incident where he was accused of indecent exposure. Um, he just, you know, there's, there's conflicting stories on whether he actually did or didn't do like me and you had said earlier, you were telling me about his friend, you know, trying to hold his pants up from his belt loops, you know, just so he wouldn't do it, you know? So that's, that's kind of up in the air for me on, on that. But, you know, he had roughly 20 paternity suits against him at the time. Uh, for the most part, he had a clean bill of health. Uh, and this was right about 1970 or so. That's when he started, grew the beard and packed on the fat because he was tired of being the face. You know what I mean? He just, yeah. at that point in time, he was... You know, there were tensions between the band. band was getting pissed at him because he was just getting more and more out there. I honestly think he was trying to, you know, either have the band kick him out or, you know, just record company cancel their contract so he could just get away or whatever. But he really let himself go. They said when they were recording uh, their last studio album, uh, this was in March of 1971, uh, they said tensions were really high, and uh, Jim had actually left before the album was actually fully completed. Um, that, you know, that says a lot right there because Jim Morrison was there from right. the first time to the last time. But they said at this point in time he was drinking as much as as many as uh, thirty six beers a day, and just after he cut the vocals for that album. This was about March. Uh, he cut out. Pam was waiting for him with an apartment in Paris. And he said he just wanted to take a little break and, you know, get some rest. And, you know, he goes out there, meets up with Pam. Uh, 
know, he's calling back and forth to the band, seeing how everything was doing and everything. Before he did leave, he actually had a clean bill of health, uh, from what I understand. But I did hear, and, you know, this goes along a little bit with the theories, but he, there's one report that he had a lot of sexual diseases. I could honestly see that, but they said he had this uh, specific condition. I can't remember for the life of me what it was called, but you basically get it something of, of the uh, urethra, and you basically get it when you've had gonorrhea so many times that, I mean, pretty much your dick's getting ready to fall off, man. Right. So, uh, I've, I've heard he had a clean bill of health, and I've heard he had a clean bill of health besides that. So... Um, that's just a little fact that we got to remember when we get into it, but he, uh, he goes out there and he basically starts enjoying himself. He hangs out with his girlfriend and, you know, walks around the towns and, you know, shops for little arts and crafts or whatever. I mean, guy's got all the time in the world. He starts losing the weight, starts getting a little bit healthier. Um, for the most part, he... He shaves off his beard, and I said, for the most part, because on the day in question, which would be uh, July 3rd, or actually, I think it would be July 2nd, 1971, he uh, he's hanging out with his friend, uh, Elaine Ronay, and he's a very good friend of him and uh, Pam's. Can't remember exactly what Pam was out doing that day. Um she actually had a boyfriend on the side, so I don't know. Maybe she was hanging out with him, but yeah, it's uh, he was hanging out with Elaine Ronay all day, and uh, Elaine Ronay actually reported he's like he at at certain points in time he was physically in pain and he would have to sit down. He would get having he was having these coughing fits to the point where he was actually in some reports coughing up blood. Right. Um. I don't know if you read any, might have read anything about that or, yeah, but, but yeah, he, uh, it's, it's very conflicting, but for the most part, we do know that something might have been physically wrong with him in the 24 hours, you know, prior to his supposed death. But what that was, we really don't know. Um, so a little bit later in the evening, Elaine Rone, uh, leaves. He has uh, other plans that he could not break. And Jim ends up doing a little bit of shopping. Uh, he ends up buying a necklace for Pam, who he ends up meeting up with a couple hours later. And according to her, they walk around the city for a little bit, uh, just talking, laughing, uh, just, just basically walking around having a good time. And uh, they go back to their apartment and watch some, I believe it was 8mm vacation videos that they had from their recent trip to Morocco. Now, according to her, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm thinking this is about where where you're going to want to jump in here, but according to her, Jim wanted to stay up. Uh, she went to bed. She says that uh, she went to bed around... I think it was later later at night, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, 
she said she remembers Jim, you know, having a coughing fit, which I find very interesting because from what I understand, her and Elaine Ronay never talked. And they said the same thing about the coughing fit and possibly coughing up blood. Right. So that's very, that's very interesting. But uh, according to her, the last thing that she heard him say was, uh, Pam, is that you? Are you there? And she went back to sleep. Now I've heard conflicting reports. Basically at this point in time, he goes and draws a bath. And goes lays in there and this is i believe at right around 3 a.m is when he woke her up um that's not really confirmed i only read that in one place but it, it did say that this was around 3 a.m and she goes back to sleep now he said he's drawing a bath he's laying in the bath or whatever i've heard conflicting point or uh reports on where she what time she woke back up i've heard five I've heard six and then I've heard eight AM. Now her side of the story is that she wakes up and she calls uh, a medical examiner, or actually before she does that, I'm gonna start that part over here. <laughs> um she wakes up and it's either five, six, or eight AM in the morning, and she calls out to Jim and doesn't hear anything. So she wanders around a little bit and she sees him in the bathtub. She said he was naked, he was freshly shaven, and he was, for the most part, submerged in the water. Um, she said at first she thought he was playing a joke on her because he had somewhat of a smile on his face as he was laying underneath the water. So she walked up to him and actually poked him and uh, she got no response. So that's when she realized something was wrong and pulled him up. I've I find that fact weird because as me and you, as we're going to get into uh, the the first supposed person on the scene was a firefighter. And I believe he said that there was some blood around his mouth and nose. Now, if she pulled him out from underneath the water, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to come there unless it was whatever happened happened very, very recent. Um, supposedly two firefighters show up. She calls for help. Um, two firefighters show up and I believe the first person she called, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I've read this in one place was her quote unquote boyfriend who was also her heroin dealer. Uh, I've heard her say that she called whoever, I think it was somebody, some kind of medical thing at the at the embassy and then i've heard that she had elaine ronay or she called elaine ronay and he came over and then he ended up calling paramedics and firefighters um now we do know elaine ronay was there and actually saw the body now i hate it when people go around and say the only two people to see the body were uh elaine ronay and uh pam because that's not true. Like there were two firefighters on the scene um, and give or take a medical examiner who ended up signing the death certificate who I who pretty much doesn't even exist. You know, I I could not find anything on this guy. Um, but there were more than just Elaine Ronay and Pam that did see the dead or supposedly dead body. But it does get pretty weird. And, and 
I don't know, some of the facts about the crime scene. I think you dug into this pretty deep, right? Yeah. So when I was looking into this case, um, the conflicting stories is what was starting to uh, <laughs> make me upset, I guess, you know, because you hear factual information when you start reading about this case and suddenly all these facts are all different. Yeah. And so I started looking to see if I can um, use my um, knowledge as a, a licensed private investigator to reach out to someone who may uh, be able to clear up some of these things for me. And so, you know, I kind of mentioned to you that I spoke to someone in France yeah. the other morning. I've been pretty, and you didn't tell me who, so I'm yeah. like, yeah. So I was waiting. So the person that I spoke with, um, they asked me, the only way that they would agree to speak with me is if I um, kept them anonymous. Um, I gave them full anonymity. So you have to keep that in mind that I can't give you two specific details that would give away who this person is or or how they may be, re be related uh, to this case. But I will say that uh, with their permission, I, I am able to say that they are a relative of someone who was not necessarily one of the first responders, but they were there at the apartment at the time of his body being uh, discovered. Oh, man. Yeah, and they are uh, their relative is someone that works for uh, you know Paris, so it's an okay. it's an official person. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so so from 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 my conversation with that person, which was at five a.m. Eastern Standard Time here in Indiana, oh, <laughs> just because of the time difference. You're a trooper, man. Yeah, and they had a they had a uh, you know a French accent, so that was that is. <laughs> But from from what what this person was able to tell me, um, during the beginning when this was all first happening, when responders were first being called to the house, uh, you know, it was made very clear that this was Jim Morrison. Okay, and because of that, um, his girlfriend and the other friend that was there, you know, they made specific. Uh, requests that too much information did not get out because of him being a very, very famous person. They were afraid that, you know, people would start flocking and that it would get out of hand quickly. Yeah. So from, from my conversation with this person, you know, I, I kind of asked them, uh, you know, to clear things up a bit. And from the story that I got, it seemed that, even from the perspective of the first responders and the other police officers that were arriving, um, you know, within the three day window, they all took this as a very separate case from one that they would normally cover because this was such a famous person. Yeah. Um, they kind of tried to give him a lot of respect. And so, you know, most of the people that would show up, the officials, they didn't even go into the room that he was in. Um, you know, basically, once they realized what had happened, I guess the uh, the people said, you know, this looks like him. They have his ID. It's him. You know, so so what I was able to get out of this person when I spoke to them, which I, I do want to say that I am I am very certain that this is a relative of someone that was there because of official documents that they were able to provide to me in order for me to, to know that. Awesome. Um, yeah, but, you know, I did 
we did talk about a lot of things and, you know, all the things that, like I said, that we can mention are things that they, you know, that, that I agreed that I could, that, I, that we could talk about. Um, I was specific and I asked if there were any chances that any of these conspiracy theories could have been true, which the first one was, could Jim have died elsewhere and his body brought back, you know, cause there is, we'll, we'll talk about this more in a second, but there was the, uh, excuse me, there was the, uh, the theory that, you know, he, he, he died of an overdose inside of a bar yeah. and he was later brought back, uh, to the apartment. And I also asked if it was possible that, you know, Jim faked his own death. And the answer was really surprising to me from, from hearing it from this person because both answers were both are possible. One would be more likely, more likely than the other. It's, it's more likely that his body was moved. And I say that because from the, from the factual information that I believe happened, it's very unlikely that the girlfriend's story is factual. Um, from, from what I believe happened, she explains this story being laid out in the terms of she's the one that laid that, that drew the bathwater for him. Um, I guess she admitted to these officials, you know, that they had been uh, doing drugs. And when, when they, when, when, when she explains this to the officials, she kind of said that, you know, after he, after they had started taking these drugs, he did kind of come up with, um, that cough. Um, I believe that she used the phrase that he was puking up blood sometimes. And so he wasn't feeling very well. And so she ended up drawing him up this, this warm bath. And then he gets in the bath and she goes to bed. She falls asleep. And then a couple hours later, in her terms, she gets up and finds find his finds his body. Now, what was interesting to me is that the water was still hot when the first responders came because you know they thought that they thought that he was still alive because his body was warm. Yep. And that really took me by surprise when I when I read that and I learned that because, as you are well aware, after an hour, I mean, after thirty minutes of a warm bath. It starts getting cold quick. You're gonna freeze, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, so before the first responders came, that bath water had to have been not there for more than an hour. Yeah. I'm very adamant on that on that belief because when they pulled him out, I mean, his body was warm. They thought he could still be alive, and mm-hmm. you know, and clearly that was not the case. But from the relative that I spoke with, you know, she she said that. When this all was first happening, they were not looking at it as in terms of could his body have been moved? Could this be foul play? Could he be faking his death? None of that was on their mind, to be honest with you. It was more of here is a very famous person that has just died. How can we go about this in the best manner without having this huge scene play out in front of us? And that was really their their first response, you know. So is it possible that the body was moved? It's, it's definitely possible. Um, this relative said that, you know, when, when her, or excuse me, when, when their relative would speak about it and they would ask them questions, they would ask in the terms of, 
you know, did, did you think of, did you think anything was weird when this was going on? And their answer was no, because, you know, they were just overwhelmed by the fact that this is Jim Morrison and he's dead. And what's the next step, you know? Yeah. So, so could he have, could he have been moved? It's definitely possible, but in terms of him faking his death, it's a smaller possibility, but the relative did not rule it out just from, from what her relative would relate to, to, to this person. And I say that because they were, they were such in a hurry to get things done because of his status and their worry that things would get, would get out of hand that it's possible that things may have been overlooked. You know, his casket was sealed. And even before his manager got there, his, his band manager, manager, you know, it wasn't something that, you know, when people were arriving, um, they weren't like, Oh, show me the body because I don't think that he's dead. You know, it was more of how can we, we get through this in the most respectful manner because his girlfriend did did seem physically upset. Yeah. So I, I think that it wasn't until a little bit later that, you know, the, that these responders and these officials kind of looked back and was like, mm, could things have been yeah. skewed a little bit? Definitely possible. But speaking with her, it did clear a lot of things up from, from that aspect. Okay, good, good. Because, yeah, I, uh, I had heard one story where, and like, you know, when we get to some of the theories that he had gone to this bar or club to actually buy heroin for her, he had tried it in the bathroom and OD in the bathroom and a couple guys from this bar call or, you know, go call up Pam and take him over there. I mean, you know, time frame wise, it, there's good possibility that could work out. But. Right. And I think that the responders, when they got there, they were not treating it as an investigation. No, it was no. more of you know, an accidental, an accidental death. And, what are the next steps? But even when I spoke to this relative and they, you know, and I explained, you know, the, the circumstances behind or leading up to his, his death, when you look at everything from an oversight within that 24 hours, that's when things start to start to come into question. But when you, for the first responders point of view, when they first get there, you know, I, I can't place a whole lot of blame in them for, not looking more into it because, you know, I mean, I, I can't put, I can't put myself in their shoes, but, but I mean, leading up to that 24 hours before he, before he died, you know, that really puts a lot of questions. You have mentioned that before he went to Paris, you know, there was that investigation that was going on. Um, there was pending court battles and appeals because of um, the charge of, was it, public indecency yeah and like indecent exposure yeah, yeah. yeah and that was actually at a concert is, is that right mm-hmm. yeah that's uh i don't i can't remember he was it, yeah he was actually performing at that concert and i think Can, it was what dade county yeah and i did touch up on some of the reports about that incident and it, it seems that you know a lot of the audience was actually starting to take their clothes off yeah, and but, that was pretty much right. You know, it pretty much egged him on. So right, and that's when I believe the manager 
had someone come up, I believe it was one of Jim's friends, yeah. and physically hold his pants up to make sure he could not take them off, which, I mean, I, I can't blame it because, you know, when you were sitting there performing, you're in the mood, people start, you know what I mean? So I, I can see why someone would go out there and physically make sure he doesn't take his pants yeah. down. And he, you know, just because, Yeah. Yeah, he was probably on some serious LSD, too. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I think he was on a tour in uh, – was it 60, 66, I want to say, or 60, it might have been 68, but they were on tour of Jefferson Airplane and they hit Amsterdam. And Grace Slick, anybody who's seen this documentary, Grace Slick is like, Jim was the one guy who did not need to go to Amsterdam. He's like, she said, uh, she said, we were walking down the street and, you know, he's like, you'd have people offering you drugs because it's Amsterdam and you're a rock star. Right. And uh, she's like, yeah, we're hanging out with the doors, you know, and just walking down the street and people hand you this and they hand you that. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm good on that. Yeah, I'll take a little bit of that. Save it for later. She said, as they're walking down the street, Jim took every single thing that he was given on the spot. And she's like, by the time that concert rolled around, Jim didn't make it. He didn't make it. He, uh, Ray Manzarek ended up playing the entire show vocals and did all the vocals and stuff for that show. So, you know, there's, you know, he had, he was a wild one, you know, he was a wild one, but, but yeah, like you had said that he had, you know, we, he had 20 paternity suits against him, right around 20 of them. And from all accounts though, like before he left for France, he had a clean bill of health, you know, from, from everything that I've read. I haven't really right. read anything different. So yeah, I, I couldn't find anything that conflicted that, that either. Yeah. So it makes you wonder, like from March until July 3rd, you know, what the hell's guy doing? Like I've heard stories that he, uh, you know, relating to, to his death or whatnot that he actually had accidentally snorted some of Pam's heroin because he thought it was cocaine, you know, and it just happened to be really strong heroin and he ended up ODing and, you know. Right. And, and I will say that, um, you know, one thing that, that rings with me in terms of what she says happened uh, to the first responders at the scene and in terms of some of the, uh, the theories that come up you know, she admitted to these people that, you know, they had been doing heroin together. Okay. But I believe that she she may have told him that it was actually cocaine. And I think that it actually turned out to be something that they call China white heroin, yeah. which if you know anything about that, it is some very, very strong stuff. And at that time, it was pretty well known to be killing people, yeah. you know, because when you are really wanting something strong, you didn't really think of the consequences of taking it, but do I think that he knew that that's what it was? I do not think so. I don't. Uh, I, I believe that that Pam knew, but I do not think that he did. Yeah. And so that's probably what made him starting to get sick, and what ended up, you know, making her draw that bathwater. Yeah. Same here. And I mean, like we had stated on the bathwater, along with that too, I heard that one of the first responders said that there's a little bit of blood around like his mouth and nose. And Pam says that she pulled him out of the bathtub submerged. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
That wasn't one of my main questions. We, when I was speaking to this person, we had, we, I mean, it was five o'clock in the morning, my time. So I was barely alive, but, right. but, but I mean, we did speak for probably about two hours and, um, that, that, that small detail didn't, didn't quite come up. I don't think, but, but there was a lot of questions that this person was able to answer. Um, and it was really cool to have that insight view after reading all of these different reports, you know, and it was surprising for me to find out that they didn't even do an autopsy. And that just goes to show that they were not treating this as, you know, anything other than an accidental death. You know, they ruled it as heart failure, heart attack. If, if I'm, is that, is that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard both of them. I mean, when, right. When uh, the U.S. Embassy called Jim's dad, they told him that he had died of a heart attack at the hospital. So, I mean, granted, they probably didn't have all the details. They just knew that, uh, one, a rock legend died in, in France, and two, the rock legend's dad is a fucking admiral. admiral and number two is that the rock legend's dad is a high-ranking official in the Navy. And we'll get to that a little bit more in the theories. There's, you know, there's some, there's some interesting theories about all that, but, but yeah, the, the whole scene of the crime is just, it's, it's just weird. I mean, the first guy on the scene says the bathwater's still warm. How, right? you know, right? that does not make sense. And then even after, after all this happened, that three days after his death, and me and you were talking a lot about this, like there was a complete media blackout. Like the only person they called was his manager. And uh, uh, I think it was uh, Bill Siddons. And he gets there on July 6th. Now, apparently what uh, Elaine and uh, Pam do is they wrap his body in plastic and pack it in dry ice for three days. And from all accounts I've read, I've, I've read that a lot of places. She ends up buying the cheapest coffin that you can buy, which was, I believe the equivalent of like $75. Uh, they pack him in it. She calls Dr. Max Basile or Vasay. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but he comes over, examines the body there's no autopsy done because in France at the time, I'm not sure if it's still like that, but unless there's any signs of foul play, there's no autopsy done. Whether or not it's a 27-year-old man who dies of a heart attack, right? that kind of would spark my interest a little bit personally, but, but yeah, um, everything about this doctor, I haven't been able to find it anything on it and i've only read that he was the one in one spot because on the actual death certificate which was signed supposedly signed by him you can't you can't tell what the name is i mean right. a bunch of scribble marks but by the time uh on july 6th that bill siddons gets there the coffin's already sealed uh there's like i had said a total media blackout uh pam told uh, what the embassy that you know his family was all deceased which 
would make sense because hell he was telling everybody that half the time so right you know it's just the weirdness of it you know that the body was buried and we had talked about this quite a bit somehow elaine ronay got a deal to have jim morrison buried in uh a French national cemetery where he still is. And I believe it's called a uh, Pere Lachaise or Pere Lachaise. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but, uh, and you know, he's buried alongside, you know, the likes of Oscar Wilde and, uh, Balzac and, and he's an American, you know, and, and oddly enough, he had actually visited this cemetery plenty of times. Uh, he had stated that he wanted to be buried there, and this is actually reported up until three days before his death. Um, the weird thing is, is the only person you hear this from is Pam. Right. And so you can take that with a grain of salt. There's a lot out there on him always visiting that cemetery and wanted to be buried there, and but literally you only hear that from her. So, you know, I... I don't know. His his grave was unmarked for almost a year. Uh, they did not put any kind of headstone up or anything like that. Uh, she was in the will. She supposedly inherited everything. Uh, she ended up dying at the age of 27, ironically enough, uh, from a heroin overdose uh, three years after Jim's supposed death. But, you know, it's... It's a shrine now. They have a full-time security guard at that cemetery now. I believe uh, Elaine Ronay actually negotiated for a 30-year lease on his gravesite. Uh, that came up, and obviously in 2001, and he still has not been exhumed, which is a very interesting fact. I don't know how. They still don't know how he even managed to get buried there. Even his dad said that. He's like, I, I don't even know how he's buried there, you know? But I don't know. Do you have any insight, I guess, on the the three days after his supposed death? You know, when I read that he was kept in the apartment, that was the first time that I thought that I should start questioning the things that I was reading because I was like, Did, would they really do that? You know, yeah, I know. And um, from the family member that I spoke with, that does seem like it did happen, but I think that it was more of a stance of they were trying to contain someone of his status from yeah. it becoming out of hand, getting out of hand. Yeah. Um, I think that was the main reason why they would have kept him there. But what was interesting to me to hear from this person was that Pam and her friends seemed to be the ones that were the, uh, main person in charge, I guess you could yeah. say, Yeah, you know, um, I, I asked, I asked this person why the family wasn't contacted. And of course they relayed that, you know, they were ultimately a thought that he didn't have any family left, but you know, they never looked into it because, you know, why would Pam lie? Exactly. You know, and she might not have even known that he had family, you know? It's yeah, it's definitely possible, but when you start looking at the the smaller detail details about you know him him leaving the country, him going there, from my perspective as a private investigator, I would look at you know if I'm looking to see 
for a reason for him to go to Paris, I could see it in those days before he left. You know, he had the pending lawsuit. He had the uh, the stuff coming in from uh, possible children of his. Yeah. Uh, and he had gained this weight. He became quite unhealthy. So I could see his reason to want to move to someplace new um, to kind of get away from all of that. And from what his friends had kind of stated, um, you know, this was a chance for him to um, – to get back with himself to become more of a healthier person. Um, although it kind of conflicts that he would, you know, try heroin or start doing using drugs. If he's trying to become clean, trying to shed this weight and things. So, so that was something that, that, that again caught my eye, but again, the circumstances leading up to him, him going there, I can see why he would, why he would go. Um, him, him mentioning that he would one day like to be buried in a cemetery, you know, three days prior to his death. That was something that was interesting. The fact that they were able to get him into that cemetery was also interesting. But uh, I believe Pam at the time, wasn't she only 24? Yeah. Maybe 23 or 24. So w- when you start looking over the conspiracy theories in this case, um, you know, one of the main theories is that he faked his death. And as you said previously, you know, he has the means to do it. He has the money. Pam is 24. And from dealing with, with, uh, addicts at, at, at Pam's state, um, for me to think when, when I first was looking into this case, I thought, you know, it would take a lot to make sure she does not talk. Yeah, but then there was only a three, a three. Was it three years? And then she was she died of a heroin overdose. So it's only three years that you know he would have had to have, uh, uh, you know, paid her off. I guess yeah. you could say. But she was listed as as his primary beneficiary. So so when he was pronounced dead, you know, she inherited everything. His entire estate became hers. So that is a huge. Uh, payoff to me you know hey i'm tired of the spotlight uh we know leading up to this time before he left for paris he was tired of being considered a sex symbol he wanted to be known as a poet and uh you know it's interesting because he was in a big he was in a band and typically you would think you know if you go into a band you want to become big and famous you know at at the at the status that he was but he really wanted to be more, more known for the poet yeah. um, more than him being, you know, known as a, as a rock star basically. But um, could he have faked his death? I, I see the reasons why, why you would oh, think yeah. that he, why, why, why he could again, she only survived for three years after his, after his, after he was pronounced dead. And now I believe that his estate is within, um, her family now has half of it and his his family now have half of it american crime cast is sponsored by blue apron not all ingredients are created equal fresh high quality ingredients make a real difference so it's important to know where your food comes from for the last year i have been a faithful customer and I have always been blown away by the quality of freshness and all of the ingredients that they send to my door. Let me be the first to admit that I am not a good cook, but I can honestly say that the recipes that Blue Apron sends 
are always easy for me to follow. I should also mention that I hate fish, but with the customizable menus, I can always select my preference. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash crimecast. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash crimecast. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. The whole fake your death thing, it was, I don't know. I mean, him going to Paris, obviously, he was trying, he had lost touch with himself. He knew that, you know, he was just not as clear headed as he had always been. The, the doors of perception were closing, you know. I mean, they even said he was getting healthier out there. He had lost his weight. You know, he was getting outside more. He's, the stress of everything was gone. You know, he said he called back, you know, every once in a while. But, you know, the that three days, you know, it's just like, what in the hell happened in that three days? And I don't know. I suppose with that, you know, maybe we should maybe we should jump into some of the theories about. Go for it. Oh, man. Well, there's. A lot of theories, and I, I'm probably going to start with my least uh, favorite, probably least plausible. Uh, at one point in time, Jim Morrison was involved with a woman from New York. Uh, if you want to know the woman's name, it is on the internet. Um, and she was a witch, supposedly. And Jim Morrison had become involved with her sexually uh, to the point where she says that they were drinking each other's blood and, you know, engaging in sexual relations. Um, well, apparently she was scorned that he had left for France with Pam. And it was a basic witchcraft spell or a hex that was put on him. And supposedly that's why he was started sporadically coughing with no warning signs and leaving with a clean bill of health and actually looking and seeming like he was a lot healthier. Um, they say that's one of the explanations for that. There's, It gets pretty deep. I mean, it's a huge rabbit hole, this, this whole one theory is. But I find it the very least likely, so I really didn't dig too deep into it. But, I mean, that that is definitely one of them, that she had hexed him because she was a scorned lover, and... You know, that would explain the very sudden coughing fits and coughing up blood and him dying within, I think, like 12 hours of that. But, um, but yeah, I didn't put, I didn't put much basis on that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, another one is that this is, this is a pretty interesting one. One of these is that because of who his father was, and this is a pretty deep rabbit hole too, so buckle up. Because of who his father was, okay? He was a high-ranking official in the Navy who was privy to intelligence and counterintelligence. Uh, his dad was actually involved in an incident that pretty much sparked the start of the Vietnam War. Um, it was called the Gulf of Tonkin Incident. And... Uh, uh, the actual, 
you know, details of what actually happened I didn't get too into because I don't care why the war in Vietnam was started. I want to know if Jim Morrison faked his own death or not. Uh, fun little side fact, though. Uh, while this incident happened, he was actually uh, the commander over him. Uh, George Morrison's commander was actually uh, Senator John McCain's dad, which is a pretty interesting little fact right there. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically what it was was that him, and I believe there was actually two more uh, very famous people that were proposed in this theory. I can't remember who they were, but basically Jim Morrison as a child was indoctrinated. He was indoctrinated to be the philosopher and the poet that he was for a reason, to get all these followers now they stayed out so there's a couple songs that you can tell in the lyrics this is what happened um but a weird little fact is that there's a man who owns this company called ba communications now ba communications in the mid 90s came out with some of this paperwork now this paperwork looked very official and i do not know who this guy was but everybody that has seen this paperwork has said, and there's actually a couple, there's more than one, that said there was an intelligent intelligence agent, and its code name was JM1. JM1 operated in throughout Europe, uh, mostly uh, he worked uh, pretty much for Sweden. He was that was like his main main area. Um, but basically worked all over France, uh, Norway, Denmark, places like that. And JM1 would check in periodically. And this was before 1971. Now, it never said anything about JM1's goal as this agent. But basically to... Basically his cover was to be a famous person... And that would enable him to travel around the world with the perfect guys, man. I mean, nobody's going to question you. Right. Um, now, there's the weird little thing is, is this person, this guy who owns this BA Communications, has paperwork after August of 1971, and the operative's name is changed to JM2. And <laughs> kind of gives me chills, okay, because it's like really weird. If this guy is not bullshitting and literally all the people who have seen this paperwork are like, this is like official shit. I don't know what this what this BA communications is. I wanted to have time to look into it, but there were so many deeper theories. And, you know, trying to get Jim more get to know Jim Morrison on a personal level that I did not have time to look in that. And that might be an important fact. But after August of 1971, the operative's JM1's name was changed to JM2. And from 1972 until 1992, this agent basically operated all over Europe and spots in North America. So... One of the theories out there is that Jim Morrison was actually a secret agent. Now, they back most of this by the this VA Communications uh, paperwork 
that was apparently readily available to more than one person. Uh, the simple fact that the paperwork, if it is real, you know, if you know the the name change at the certain time. I mean, in all honesty, it's not that hard to believe because, you know, just the factors in it. A guy can travel all over the world as a rock star doing secret agent shit. What with hit with who his dad was that that's not that impossible to believe. Right. Do I believe it? No, I believe it because Jim Morrison was Jim Morrison. I mean, granted, it does make sense that he was a little bit different than everybody else. But I don't think that was the reason. I don't think he damn guy's a secret agent traveling around the world. That just, I don't think that's Jim Morrison, man, you know, but, right. but yeah, I don't, I mean, there's, I, I definitely got, you know, a couple more. Did you want to touch down on the, uh, on the nightclub incident theory that you got? Well, just from what I read into it about it, uh, it seemed that, uh, you know, there is multiple people, at least three people who later come out and, and talk about, I believe someone wrote a book. Yeah. Somebody um, wrote a book. Yeah. And they basically just say that he had been doing heroin, did it in the bathroom. Uh, someone walked in on him, found his body laying over the toilet. He was dead. They decided they would, uh, cover it up a little bit, bring him home and, um, you know, make it look like he just did not die of an overdose in a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty much the gist of that theory that I heard too. Uh, you know, he's going to buy some heroin for Pam and same thing in the bathroom. All details were the same on, on that, that I read too. Uh, do you, do you believe it? I mean, I do. I think out of all, uh, out of all the conspiracy theories uh, or possible explanations on what could have happened that night, uh, that's one of the ones that makes the most sense to me. Um, you know, for someone to write a book about it and for more than one person to later come out years after the fact uh, and mention it, I can see it. I can see why they would have done it. Um you know, ultimately, it, it, it's something that it does make sense to me, you know, yeah. whether or not it's it's 100 percent factual. I, I just I can't say that. OK. All right. Now, I there is a lot of stock in that theory, but because I uh, love Jim Morrison here, I'm going to start getting into the uh, fake his own death theory. Go for it. All right. Fun little fact about Jim Morrison is that in the late 60s, he saw a band that called themselves Led Zeppelin. When he got back home, he got a hold of Warner Brothers and Atlantic Records, and he formed this company called Zeppelin Publishing. Now, basically what that did was that ensured him the right, the, all the rights to the word or the name Zeppelin. This would ensure him of money throughout the rest of his life, whether or not he ran out of cash. Basically, Jim Morrison had every opportunity. He had all the money to do it. And he had good motive. I mean, this guy, 
literally had like the world coming down on his shoulders. He was unhealthy. Um, you know, if all the paternity suits are right, which I've read that in a few places. So, I mean, you can take it with a grain of salt. But he was looking at a year's time in jail, hard labor for the indecent exposure thing. He was on the FBI watch list by J. Edgar Hoover himself because of his anti-war songs. And I don't want to say riots, but Jim Morrison could control a crowd of people at the flick of a wrist, man. They would pretty much do anything he wanted them to. And I think that scared the FBI quite a bit. Um, that actually ties in with another theory, but I think he needed to get away. There was tensions with the band. Um, you know, Ray Manzarek himself, you know, never saw the body. There were only supposedly a few people who saw the body. Uh, Bill Siddons, the, the guy, his manager who showed up on July 6th, never saw it. He saw a sealed coffin. The first time the drummer, John Densmore, saw the grave site he said it was too short he said it wasn't even tall enough to fit jim in uh ray manzarek was pissed because apparently bill siddons actually had the opportunity to see the body but he didn't take it uh he had later gotten cussed out by ray manzarek the organ player uh you know saying this is fucking jim morrison he's like you honestly did not look inside that coffin to make sure there's not 150 pounds of sand because on several occasions, Jim Morrison would say things like, you know, how about I just quit this whole rock and roll lifestyle and put on a suit and tie? You know, right. half of me wants to say, this guy is sneaky as shit. The other half of me wants to say, that's the most ironic thing you'll ever hear Jim Morrison say, so he's just fucking with somebody. Right. You know, um, he had supposedly been spotted uh, less than a week after his supposed death in San Francisco at a Bank of America, which had, he had a huge account there. Um, there were withdrawals and activity within his account in the week uh, after his supposed death, uh, including that person showing up at the bank. Now, the person who handled the account at the bank admitted that yeah, it was Jim Morrison, but a couple years later, he was re-interviewed again, and he said, well, I can't be 100% sure, because at the time, Jim Morrison didn't need to produce a photo ID. They had a photo ID of him at the bank with all his stuff, so all he had to do was show up. Didn't need anything. They already had all his stuff on file, which they actually still do to this day. They still do to this day. Um but I could see him just wanting to start over. I mean, there's a lot of conflicting, you know, I don't want to say choices, but stories of actually who he was, like we had touched base on earlier. There's two types of people. There's the kind that that will sit there and say they hate attention, but at the end of the day, they will do everything they can to get all the attention they can. And there's the kind who say they hate attention like Jim Morrison, who would shut himself in his basement for hours reading books and writing. You know, literally, that's what he did in his childhood. He 
didn't really get into sports. He he went on ships and hung out with his dad and stuff like that because it was his dad, you know. But I honestly believe that he was getting tired of the fame. He was over it. He just he wanted to get away. He he had fulfilled what he had to fulfill. He had ri- written. I mean, the Paris journals that he was writing were, you know, are freaking phenomenal. I mean, the guy was an accomplished poet. Uh, I just think he wanted to touch base more on that and be known for that. I wouldn't be surprised if he did fake his death that, you know, he had had a pen name and probably released tons of books on poetry, you know, but he just, he had the means motive and opportunity. And I just, I think he probably told Pam, Hey, you're 24 years old. Take my will, take everything. Give me $200,000 in cash. I can go, you know, it, I mean, they, at the time they, they got offered $75,000 alone and it was the biggest at the time, uh, to have one of their songs on a Buick commercial. And of course, Jim flipped out, you know, he's no, that's not, that's not what this music's about. You know, it's like, that should tell you right there that he was starting to get over the fame. That's why he gained the weight. That's why he grew the beard because he was tired of the shit. So do I think he's still alive now? Probably not. But I think just by some of the so many conflicting stories, like so many little minor details that make sense. The fact that if anybody could do it, I think Jim Morrison could. Now you'll hear the the other argument of the fact that this is Jim Morrison. There's no way he could stay out of the spotlight for that long. But at the end of the day, I think he could. I think he could. I think, I think possibly he did fake his own death. Um, you know, whether or not he died maybe a few years later or 10 years later, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's why he never had an opportunity to come back into the spotlight if he chose to. But there's so many things that don't add up. And then there's so many things that do add up that would make sense for him to do this. But I mean, that's my personal favorite take on it um you know if he ran out of cash he owned the rights to zeppelin publishing man you know he was getting paid and you know he still apparently has that bank account bank of america in san francisco you know i'm not 100 percent sure if the bank account is still active whether his parents run it or whatnot but i do know that his photo id and some of his information is still on file there so it's kind of it's kind of interesting you know you know, we've, I don't know, there's been supposed sightings of them, obviously, everywhere in the world since right. 1971, but, you know, I I don't know, man. I like to think that he did. I think he just got the hell out of Dodge. He, I think that was something he would do, and I think that's something he wanted to do, and he was, you know, he was able to do it, so, I don't know, there's... I don't know. <laughs> so out of all of the theories and things that we have spoken about, do you feel like that is the most uh, one that you are siding with? Is that what you think happened? Do you think he faked his death? Man, put me on the spot now. Um, yeah, I want to know, like, you know, <laughs> what what makes you draw your conclusion on, on what, whichever conclusion you have? Basically, I want to say that he did just because of the manner that his supposed death was handled 
the mysterious doctor that supposedly signed this death certificate was the metal medical examiner as well. You know, no autopsy performed. Uh, maybe it was a body double that was in the bathtub. You know, him leaving everything to Pam. Dude, even if he told people that, you know, his family was deceased, at the end of the day, without a reason, I don't think he would do that. You know, I I think he would still be conscious enough to, you know, leave everything to his family or whatnot. He, did, he didn't truly hate them that much, I don't believe. So, um, you know, you got that. You got a lot of previous statements about him doing it. He would say little things like, like I had said earlier, he would look at his manager and just be like, you know, what would happen if I died? You know, what would happen with the music? What would happen with the doors? You know, what would happen with everything? He literally asked more than one person that exact question. And it wasn't just a random person. It was somebody who controlled his fucking estate. You know, it was his manager. It was his publicist. You know, he, Jim Morrison was a smart dude. You know, he was, right. he was definitely not the type to, you know, say, you know, pre-make and, and weigh out all his food for the next day and make sure all his clothes were ironed and or anything like that. Like, he was different. I That's his personality, basically, is what draws me to that conclusion. The personality and the small little details around that point in his life, I think, I think he could. I think he could, and I think he did. Whether he lived one year or is still alive now, yeah, I think he did. But fair. But that's that's what draws me to that conclusion. But well, what about you? You sticking with the with the nightclub? Well, I think that we have a uh, a very cool thing here because you and I both have uh, different backgrounds, and you are a huge fan of gyms. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie; that might have tipped the scales and my decision. All right. Because right. Right. And I would love nothing more than to believe Jim Morrison lived because like right. I said earlier, man, he was not only a rock star, he was a fucking legend and legends never right. die, man. Right. And I think that that is something that, uh, draws me to my conclusion because he was such a huge legend. But when I look at, when I look at, uh, as, as, as this, murder case or a possible murder case or a faked death or, you know, whatever I'm looking at it as if I was hired as a private investigator to find out what happened to Jim. Um, I'm not looking at it as this is this huge legend. I'm looking at it as he's a person. What makes sense? Yeah. And when we go back to his family, we had talked, we, we, we spoke about how his dad possibly had an involvement in the sparking of the Vietnam War. And that kind of is probably what led to his separation with him and his family. Um, it's not that they never spoke. He just separated himself from it. And I can see why, you know, even from my perspective, from what I do, you know, there are aspects of um, my family or you know, things that go on in my life that I don't share with other people because I don't want them to uh, think of me differently. I don't want them to stop listening because of things that, that are out of my control, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I can see why he would do it because, you know, he 
ultimately he was becoming a huge legend at the time and yeah. he didn't and he ultimately did not agree with you know with his dad's involvement yeah. in the war you know they had very opposite beliefs so so i can see why he would tell people you know my family are dead because when, you know if i were if i were to tell you hey justin my family's all dead would you question that would you look into it no. you know you probably wouldn't you'd probably would take my word for it because why would i lie yeah so I think that that was ultimately a way for people not to look too much into his family and then find out his dad's involvement with the war because they had completely opposite viewpoints. Oh, yeah. So I could see that happening. Um, because of him separating himself from his family, I, I don't see it from the perspective of he did not care for his family. Because I, I do believe that he still had, he still, he still cared. And I believe that his family still cared a lot about him. You know, looking at his dad's and, and his sister's interview, you can definitely tell there was still an emotional attachment, you know, even several years after, after the death. But I think that, uh, from my perspective, I'm looking at him as a person. You look at, at him as a legend. So I can see where all of these conspiracy theories start to come about because, you know, ultimately when you have someone that you idolize, when you have someone that is such a huge legend, you don't always want to think about them as a mortal, as a mortal person. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, you don't want to think that, you know, they could get, you know, shot and, and be, be suddenly killed. You know, you just, you idolize them so much and you think so highly of them that you don't want to think that, that they're human, Yeah. you know? So, so I can see why all of these people that idolize him so much would not want him to be killed or, or not want him to die. You know, they want him to live on and, and them to them to always have that mystery. Um, so I, I can see why, why, why people would be led down that path. Yeah. But as a private investigator, I don't believe that he faked his death and, and there's, there's several reasons why, like I said, I, I don't think that he despised his family or that he hated his family. And ultimately I do see why it would appeal to him to fake his death. Oh, so that yeah. he could leave. Yeah. But there's so much that could go wrong. You know, his girlfriend, Pam was a, was a big heroin addict. Even if he left, all of that money to her, he would always run the risk of her just coming up and fessing. You know, she could get high one day and be like, Hey guys, you know, we made the whole thing up, you know, yeah, and then sell her story for even more money to some huge news agency. So that's something that, that I couldn't get over that, you know, she doesn't seem like the most trustworthy type of yeah, person exactly. to trust something so huge with. And, there was such a huge amount of risk that she could just come forward and out him. And if, if that happened, can you imagine the hurt that his family and friends would have and yeah. even his band members and his, and his fans that he would do something so extreme, you know, his family and his friends, they all grieved because of his death, you know, even several years, you know, in 2007, 2008, when you had saw the uh, interview with his dad and his, and his sister, you could still tell there was an emotional attachment. Oh yeah. And I can't believe in me that, that Jim would want to hurt his family so much, you know, it would be a very selfish move to fake your death. Um, just because of how much hurt you would be hurting others. And I don't, I just do not see 
him taking that 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 route. Um, also, there's a huge risk that people would see him and he would be outed. Yeah, you know. So so there's so much risk. There's so much the there's the possibility of of the truth coming out and it and it hurting people. I it, for for me, I just I I can't draw that conclusion. But do I believe that you know he died in that bathtub? I do not. I think that. You know, he was in the nightclub, he was in the club, and he had died in the uh, in the bathroom of an overdose. Um, the reasoning behind it seems very uh, truthful to me on the reasons why they would not want him to be found there. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I can see why they would move him, and that then makes a lot of sense on why the bathwater would have still been warm, because ultimately... Uh, you know, Pam would have been covering it up. Um, I don't believe that there was malice in it. I don't think that, you know, she meant to hurt anyone. Um, ultimately, for the family, it, I, I don't want to say that the truth is ever not the right answer. Yeah. But if, if, as a family member, if you get called and you're like, hey, you know, your son, your brother died of a heart attack. Um, of a heart failure. That's one thing, but, but, but to be called and say, and say, Hey, you know, your brother, this huge legend, uh, he died of an overdose in the, you know, yeah. looking into a toilet. That's not something that, uh, seems very appealing. Um, I can see why they would try covering that up and ultimately moving him. So I think that that, that is more likely that the, uh, conclusion that I come up to. But as, as you mentioned, there's so many questions leading up to to this time. There's a lot of coincidence. So I also cannot, um, you know, leave out the possibility that he did fake his death. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, touching down on a couple other theories, too. Another good one is the, uh, the murder theory. Let's say he was uh, murdered by the. FBI and some kind of intelligence agency because of who he was. They were scared about when he actually came back from France that he was going to be just that much bigger all over again. And, you know, that would explain why, you know, the, the whole indecent exposure thing that supposedly never happened, you know, getting brought up. He, he was on the FBI watch list. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was pretty scared of him. Um, and the fact that at the age of 27, he did die of a either heart attack or heart failure, which when he left, had a clean bill of health. But that's, that theory doesn't really draw me in too much because of the the coughing spouts that he is having. Uh, the, the, you know, 16 or 18 hours leading up to his supposed death. Um you know, the fact that Elaine Ronay and Pam both said the same thing, you know, that kind of strikes me as odd right there. But at the same time, I can definitely see that whole theory. And like we were talking about earlier, the bathwater man, the <laughs> firefighter on the scene who is still alive today, you know, specifically said he's like you know the bath water was warm he's like i didn't think he had been there that long but you know according to her he got in the bath you know late late in the night very early in the morning so 
You know, I, I am on the fence uh, on it. I will. I, I'm not going to lie. But because I love Jim Morrison, I'm going to say fake. <laughs> Didn't die of a drug overdose. Right. But right. But at the end of the day, I think this is one of those things that no matter what. You know, we're never going to know exactly what happened. I don't think what there's so many story, different stories from the people involved about what happened let alone I don't think we're ever going to know exactly what happened but right and I think that you know if they would have performed an autopsy a lot of these questions would would be gone but in my perspective you know I can see at the time that France that was their policy they did, they didn't do autopsies but then I'm I'm led to wonder why they concluded that it was heart failure yeah if it was a 27 year old that that seems to bring up a lot of questions you know I I don't care that he possibly did a lot of drugs or drank a lot of alcohol at the time. He's 27. His heart shouldn't have failed. Exactly. Do an autopsy to make sure that's the reason, you know, that's the cause yeah. of his death. Um, I think that the autopsy could have answered a lot of questions. Yeah. And, um, you know, ultimately we don't have it. Now, I agree that I could not find any information on the doctor that signed his death certificate. Um, what I think may have happened is if Pam had an involvement in moving his body so that he was not found at the bar, I think that it's not also out of the realm that she could have paid someone money, yeah. a lot of money to be like, Hey, can you uh, not do an autopsy? You know? Yeah. And maybe if she explained the reasoning behind it, they would, you know, be like, well, you know, she's not trying to be, you know, malicious or anything like that. So, uh, you know, and unfortunately she died three years later. So it's not like we can go ask her again, yeah. you know. Yeah, which was, you know, obviously pretty convenient there. But, but yeah, it's uh, just so many questions, you know, it's. Really, really weird. Just a weird, weird case all the way around. Just the little minute details, you know, and, you know, I, I definitely see, you know, her being able to pay somebody off for the autopsy. Um, the one question I, I, that, you know, that, I, that sparks my curiosity is the fact that his 30 year lease and that, in that French national cemetery, um, came up in 2001 and they still have not exhumed the body. And as of 2008, in that interview, his dad still didn't understand why they didn't either, because they actually wanted the body moved, you know. But, I mean, at the same time, his dad even said in the interview, you know, he's like, I understand, you know, if he wanted it there. But he's like, you know, we would not mind it here, too, you know. So he was, he was my son. But, you know, that, that strikes me as odd a little bit. It really does. But it's at, at this point in time, I think... It's part of the tourism in in Paris, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, Paris saying, "No, he can stay there," you know. Right. But. Well, I believe in order for the body to be exhumed and shipped back to America, um, I believe that his family would be the only ones that could request it. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, they may just be at the point where they're, you know, at near near his end, near that time, 
he went to Paris because he wanted to be left alone. Yeah. And maybe his his family respect that. And this is them fulfilling his wish still to this day, yeah. you know, that he was able to get away. He was able to be, you know, left alone because I think that, you know, there is a lot of tourism. There is still a lot of people that flock to his, his grave and, his, and to, to see this, to see a stone. But I think that that would be even more of a huge thing if he was brought back. And again, he would be brought back into the, 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 the limelight yeah. because of this whole him bringing them back, you know? So, so I think I can see why his family would uh, be at the point where they're like, Hey, you know, we laid Jim to rest. He wanted to be left alone, you know? So ultimately they're, they're giving him what he wants. And, and I can see why they would not ask for his body to be exhumed.